0: I can't believe I'm even hearing this.
1: (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenicast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Mona and Alan. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week... It being election day, we are going to we're gonna talk about fatalism and what you do when you feel like <laughs> there's no hope in the world and the things you do don't matter. And for our segment, we're gonna be doing something called Biblical Elections. So the reason that we're gonna have this particular topic is we were deciding what we were gonna record and, and which way we were what direction we were gonna go, and we kind of all realized, man, What what are we doing? And we found out that we were all on the same page, and we figured, you know what? Instead of wallowing in it, let's turn it into an episode.
0: (laughs) Harnessing all of that uh, downward spiral energy. (laughs) Well, I I, I brought this episode up, I think uh, I was the first one to suggest it, because I've been feeling... Quite down lately. I've been feeling like I think the word is Alan, you use the word uh, compassion or empathy fatigue. Yeah. I use the word activist or justice fatigue. And I think it's the idea that um, a lot of us spend a lot of our lives not just feeling compassion for the world, but trying to do things to make the world better. And what happens when you get to a place when you feel like your efforts don't really matter or make a difference? I mean, they do, (laughs) and they change us, right? But at a point, it gets really exhausting, caring all the time. And so what do you do with that? And how do we even think about that theologically?
2: Yeah, and what does it mean statistically when your vote doesn't count and your efforts don't count? (laughs) And there's no measurable... Uh, change to what you do.
0: I was thinking today about uh, the election and how so many of my friends have commented lately and I've been seeing this all over the news that so many people feel really... Down and really frustrated this election season with the given candidates. There are very few people who are like truly partisan when it comes to the election, and so a lot of us have been have felt like we're kind of in, between a rock and a hard place, and we're in a political moment where just everything seems broken all the time. You know, the, our our racial system, our justice system, our economic system, um, our education environment. system, environment everything is just freaking broken. You know, and so. I mean, we don't want to bum anybody out with this episode, but probably you're listening if you resonate with this a little bit. And I was thinking about how amazing it is that even in the sense of chaos that I have and so many people have right now, at the end of the day, we can still trust that hopefully, our system will march forward. We don't have to fear military coups, at least here in the U.S. context. We don't have to fear, you know, democracy completely falling apart. I mean, even if the candidate you don't want gets elected, like our system will still march forward for better or for worse. And we have a modicum of stability uh, that we I think we take for granted because we've known it for so long. And most of us have noted our whole lives here. And so I think that it's easy to feel fatalistic and forget the things that we can be thankful for, despite the chaos that we sense, it's actually not real chaos. It's the perception.
2: There's there's some truth to that because we're so oppositional in politics and in our culture, we're given to extremes that we tend to paint things the way we think that will get people to react and act. And so, candidates are worse than they probably are, and I well, in some cases, and others maybe not. I don't know. I I personally, as a co-host of this podcast, feel like kind of punting to the whole the, the United States is going to be kind of the way that it always has been. And there's some safety in the state actually really bothers me because I empathize a lot with the countries that we invade and bomb and the people that we drone strike and the communities that the state itself uh, kind of lives off of and Oppresses. And so when I hear the machine is going to be like kind of as how it's been and it's going to be a peaceful transfer, the idea of like peace in that sense is kind of like a, a, a Pax Romana to me. And um, that's probably fatalistic. And maybe I should be thankful for what I have, but it's hard to feel hashtag blessed when, you know, <laughs> your stability is dependent upon the suffering of so many different people around the world. And um, I don't know disruption feels like progress <laughs> and maybe i'll get arrested for saying that someday if certain people have their way you you're saying something that's very true for me as a podcaster and a minister and somebody who feels compassion is that like at some point you give and give and give and you care so much to the point where it just gets hard you know there are days where i take off like caring about the whole world. Like I don't want to care about one person today or something. And today was one of those days. I was feeling that before we even got on. And uh, I don't know what to do with that. You know, instead of just like maybe just waiting, waiting it out is kind of what I usually do. I think this disproportionately affects people who are tapped into empathy. That's what I read online about compassion fatigue a couple years ago. You know how you like watch the videos of the dogs over and over with What's that song in the background? Who's that singer? Sarah in McLaughlin. Yeah, Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> in the arms of an McLaughlin. angel. And yeah. then the sad dogs are looking at you. And you see it over and over and over and pretty soon you're like, okay, I don't want to look anymore. <laughs> you know, I can't. I can't see another one. I don't care anymore because I've seen so many.
1: You know, when we talk about how we're going to deal with this, and Moni mentioned earlier, we don't mean to bum everyone out, but I thoroughly believe that that this conversation will be our our psalm, right? It's gonna start out, uh, what are we gonna do? God, why have you forgotten us? And it's gonna end with some kind of praise, you know, some kind of like, okay, here's a, at least a step that we can take in that right direction. And I think it's that that balancing act, right? There's so many things that are put out in front of us. And if we're people who are conscious about the world around us, Clearly, that feels even more intention than it has been for a while. And then you add on top of that, well, what's happening in my own personal life? And am I I having those same experiences in in interpersonal relationships or my work or whatever? Then it's going to feel that way. So I think that part of it is time, letting that pass. But then part of it is the, the concept of Sabbath has been very helpful for me. The idea of, okay, I need a break. You know, we think in terms of work that we do whether it's a podcast or working at a church or, you know, working in an office somewhere. And we think in terms of like vacation and stuff like that. But I think we need Sabbath for our mind, you know, mindless entertainment, places where it's just, it is what it is and there's nothing more outside of that.
2: That's, that goes along with the concept of self self-care, self care, right? Like taking moments and having your Sabbath. We talked about that in a previous episode. I cannot remember which one.
1: And we've talked; the, it's been peppered throughout our yeah, there was one episode where we
2: really yeah, we really talked about it.
1: I think it was our mindfulness I, I think episode.
2: Goes, yeah, maybe mindfulness. I think it goes beyond that for me in some ways. Like there, there's a real reevaluation at some point for like what am I pouring my energy into? Am I talking more than I'm doing? Is my slacktivism hurting me? You know, like all the little ways that I'm gonna post on facebook and do this and do that um with is it really causing any change like am i pouring my energy into things that even matter i think there is a reevaluation for what i do i
1: think definitely and i think another part of that too is that that concept of casting your pearls before swine like who are you directing your voice at and maybe it's not so much the things that you're doing are pointless but the people you're directing it at are
0: you're, you're directing at people who already agree with you, for, for instance.
1: <laughs> or or the, or the opposite. Yeah, that's right. Or the opposite, where yeah. you're, you're directing at people that you know that's not going to change their mind. And all you're doing is engaging in argument and fatigue. And it's just like, you know, I, I need to know who I can talk to and who I can't talk to.
0: I think for me, I've been... I think those are great points. And for me, um, Jeff, it's funny when you said Sabbath, I like cringe because I have.
1: <laughs> you cringed at a biblical term, Mona? That doesn't sound like you. <laughs>
0: I'm uh, me, uh, You know me. Uh, it, it's not that that's a bad idea. It's that I have a tremendous, I've been noticing lately. Uh, that I have a tremendous guilt complex for relaxing and for enjoying myself, given the amount of stuff I know about how crappy the world is and how much work needs to be done. And I I was thinking recently about, you know, lineage of Protestantism and our, our work ethic here, that really it, we have this built into our psyche that we have to work for enjoyment. Otherwise, it's not earned. It's not um, holy. It's not grace filled in some capacity that's like that's a cultural lineage that's very subtle but that has been handed down from generation to generation you know there's there's a saying that there's no rest for the wicked but i feel like there's also no rest for those who seek to be righteous because um the people who want to make the world best most i feel like often are are haunted by that sense of calling and at a point it becomes not a sense of calling but it becomes um a burden that's too great to bear so i don't know I don't know how to, for myself, um, let, let go in those times when I need to rest. So for me, it's like the words like Sabbath and self-care are getting there for me, like getting towards something, but they don't, they don't do it. They don't speak to the underlying guilt that I experience for enjoying my life because I feel like other people don't have anything and I shouldn't or I can't enjoy the world as it is knowing that there's such suffering. Out there,
2: that reminds me of what something that's been in my head since you and I believe it's your friend talked about food insecurity, an episode in the past. <clears throat> and you just mentioned something about people with uh, food stamps or programs that help them um, make ends meet and put food on their tables. And talking about like the whole concept of oh, they're buying lobster and steaks and blah blah blah. Well, the concept of have having a moment where someone who has nothing has a moment to like rest or actually experience enjoyment. And there's this sense of in our culture, that's like, if you're not working hard, you should be suffering. You know, you only have the right to have a moment, to, a moment to rest if you've worked hard enough for it. And I think that's the opposite of, of what humanity is supposed to be about. Like we are all entitled to rest, to, Just moments where you're not producing, you know, to be a a field that's fallow and not constantly uh, turning stuff out. And so, we, the Protestant work ethic thing affects all kinds of stuff in our society. So, well, let me play
1: devil's advocate for a second. Like, I think I, I agree the idea of, first of all, I agree that the idea of like the work ethic, like the sense that if you work hard, then it's good work and it's more valid than anything else. I I think there's a lot of flaws with that. Maybe that's a whole episode. But on the other end of that, Mona, you talking about, well, you know, how can I enjoy this? Isn't there an underlining assumption that to say that if you can't enjoy what's in front of you, that the underlying assumption is that anyone who's suffering don't have moments of happiness and rest? Do you know what I mean? Like, you feel no, guilt. I
0: think everyone, everyone certainly does. It's. It's the whole idea. I think it's the whole, it's the question. If you really grapple with the idea of privilege, which I think we all try to, um, we recognize like Alan said earlier that our happiness actually comes at, at the direct or indirect expense of other people.
2: Right. I know. Um,
1: Uh, What happiness are you specifically speaking of though?
0: Our our creature comforts are, can are are things that allow us to rest and relax and, and recreate. Okay. Uh, And our our entire way of life here. I mean, if really, really thinking about it, the amount of resources that we consume and discard here means that other people go without.
2: True. Like like the average, I read recently that the average American consumes like 50 times as much as the average Indian, a person who lives in, in India. So it's. Just our regular life is such high consumption that it puts an undue burden on the planet and on future generations. So maybe it is
0: sinful to enjoy that life if it's not if it's so out of whack with what the earth and the world's population is able to sustain. I mean, not just in an environmental sense, but in a macro sense, in a resource sense, in a am taking up more space than I ought to" sense.
2: That's the uh, maybe that's existential off topic. Angst. No,
1: no it I don't is. think it's, I don't think it's off topic. I'm, I'm trying to get to the to the point of like I agree with all that, and I think that we should be aware of that and conscious of that. I think it's flawed to assume that. Those two things that that and like rest and enjoying our time are separate things. Like if if someone who is on the other end of that spectrum, if you, you know, we're talking about we're on one end of the spectrum as far as privilege and what we have and someone else is on the other end of the spectrum where they are the ones that are being the most taken advantage of by whatever systems in place, we still assume and know that those that that people on that spectrum, that end of the spectrum are still having moments of like life and connection and it may not be their mode, but there may be escapes to that. And those places of escape, those places of rest, those places of relaxation don't have to be connected with the things that we have that make us privileged. Like, fine, if you don't, you know, we don't want to relax and sit down and watch a movie that consumes all this stuff or whatever, but they're still just walking outside and being by ourselves. And I mean, I think that there's a way, I don't think that we need to always associate those two things and that we can have those moments of peace and rest, even just interaction with people like that's still happening in communities and communities are bond- bonding together and they're doing those things. And I don't think that one negates the other, if that makes any sense. Well, I don't know if I explained myself. I mean, well.
0: it, it does. I, I mean, I'm thinking, though, of my like, for example, my black activist friends who say things like um, they don't have the luxury of of escaping these issues because they wear the issues on their body. And I That's just not the case for me, obviously, because I'm white, right? So, I think I feel that if they don't get rest, then I shouldn't get rest. Like, and that's that. I think that's the core of an activist. It's like I'm going to co-experience life with you to as much as I can, so that we can make the situation better and more tenable, and so that you can um, find more sources of resilience, and not just sources of resilience, but we can actually change the systems that cause you to feel like you have to. Focus on being resilient in the first place, and you can just live your life. Yeah, I mean, we could have a whole conversation on rest, sure. But I think I'm trying to get at something much bigger than that.
2: You're you're feeling you're feeling you're feeling guilty as a byproduct of belonging to a society that causes oppression to support your comfort. You know, I'm not just and feeling guilty, but I not feel like. Just-
0: That's not just my motivation, though. It's my it's my drive. Like, it's not I'm not driven by guilt or something negative. I'm driven by, like, good things. I want good things for the world. But uh, you can only sustain that drive for so long without feeling exhausted after a while, because you realize the longer you do this kind of work, actually, you you see how small you are. You see how small you are in a sea of people and how little power you actually have.
2: I know people who have given up, by the way. I know people who care who cared more than anyone else. And they're like, you know what? I can't do it anymore. <laughs> they recognize that and so they're like I'm just not going to pursue that lifestyle. I'm not going to deal in activism. I'm not going to care. I'm just going to kind of do what makes me feel happy and literally walk away from that kind of lifestyle because it was too much.
0: Yep.
1: Which makes it all the more important to find places like I mean that's that's kind of what we're talking about, right? That that idea of burnout. Like if there's so many people doing that and it's so easy to fall in that trap, what do we do to create enough space to give us moments to breathe and moments to have hope and moments to, and and, and where does that come from? And I think it can come from a variety of different places, but I think at the same time, for as much as we're working to help others, we have to work to help ourselves on a certain level.
0: I watched a really interesting video recently about, um, it was a lesbian feminist talking about how she had chosen not to have children and how she got a lot of blowback from that. And she said, you know, 20 years ago, um, lesbians were criticized for the ability of not being able to uh, have kids. They were, sorry, let me start that over. About 20, 30 years ago, lesbians were heavily criticized because they chose to be lesbians. And this was before, you know, IVF and some of the fertilization methods that they have now. They were criticized for for not being able to have children because they were in the lesbian relationship. Nowadays, with the kinds of fertility methods that are out there, lesbians are criticized for being able to have children and choosing not to. That's seen as a very selfish act culturally. Um, But she said, actually... Uh she said the biggest criticism that she's received uh in this video is that she doesn't care about future generations. And she said actually if you really stop and think about it, what more is caring about future generations than than being a feminist activist and trying to make things better for future generations? And she says I have so many friends who are so into the cause and doing all this great work and then they decided to have families. Not that there's anything wrong with having families, but she said these particular friends um just started caring about their own little insular unit and raising their kids and stopped caring about the rest of the world. And she said, I think that's the most selfish thing. So she said, it's definitely a
2: biological phenomenon, right? When you have children, your world gets smaller, like it happens to your brain. Mm -hmm.
0: It does. Yeah. And I mean, she's not trying to criticize having children, but she's trying to push back on what society sees as healthy and unhealthy and selfish and unselfish, which is a really interesting thing. So I think I'm kind of toying with that myself. Like what kind of life do I I want to lead? What kind of life do you guys want to lead? And this podcast is our effort to do something, right? At yeah. least to talk, if we can't do anything else, at least to talk and try to get other people involved in the conversation. For That's a sure. thing that we try to do, um, if nothing else. You know?
2: Sometimes it's cathartic for me. <laughs> Sometimes I do it just because it feels good to finally get something, a space to talk about stuff, you know, not just to change anyone else, but just for me to process out loud what i'm kind of thinking and going through that's what the podcast offers to, to me personally
0: yeah i'm feeling that right now actually i feel a little bit better <laughs> <It's always laughs> working about this for a while uh,
2: to be honest it's the only reason i do it i'm not generous at heart whatsoever you're I'm not a cold-hearted non-compassionate selfish person That's cuz that's that's what I've been told before that everybody is that,
1: right? Well, see, that's that's my problem with that whole thing. Like, right? Like you uh, cuz Mona, what you were talking about earlier, I 100% agree with. I think that, you know, someone choosing not to have kids and put devoting their life to activism. My only flaw with that is to to use the words isn't that more selfless than? That's that's where I think that the whole thing gets difficult and people feel like they get pushed out because and I know this isn't what you were saying, but I think even those words as someone who's had kids and have had conversations with other people about like why they don't have kids. It's easy to have that initial like feeling of being like, like not attacked because that's, that's a strong word. But that little like little irk in your heart kind of like, well, that, that doesn't mean any one person is better than the other. They they just chose different paths. One temporary with kids because they're going to grow up and the other one like this is my lifelong pursuit and i'm creating a better world i don't think i think we need to stop looking at all those things as this is more selfish and this is less selfish and well, say she didn't,
0: i was parenting no, no, badly I, I understand. that's what i said and uh you know of course parenting takes a lot of work if you're going to do it right like um nobody's knocking like you're saying like she was just trying to um combat the really heavily weighted stereotype that, that really exactly. favors one camp. and Exactly. And that's,
1: that that highlights my point even more in that sense that that's how she felt by the rhetoric of another side of that same argument, is that she felt like, well, no, I'm getting all this attack towards and blowback towards me, but a lot of it is that language that we use, where we we immediately compare and we're saying we're not doing enough, we're not doing enough, but if we burn out, we're not doing anything. So I think it's like, maybe on one level it's a trade-off. Do I allow myself to be a little selfish in this moment or this time in order to, to be, to have more longevity or do I just burn out and not do anything? And which is more like that. Then when we start asking, which is more, I think that that's, that's part of the problem. I think it takes the, um, I don't know. It narrows down our life to a simple binary. You're either doing something or you're not. And it's, it can't be that simple. And if it is, then that's stressful. And no wonder we want to quit sometimes. Cause we all do that in moments in our head. Like we're all having this conversation because we're all in that moment, whether it's whether it's one of us feeling as though the world around us is just this chaotic and we can't do anything to fix it. Or even if it's just, you know, in our, in our own personal lives that we're dealing with those same things. Like is my work important? Is my interaction with people important and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. And it seems like we, I I have a hard time like remembering that my meaning is outside of what I do. You know?
2: Yes. That's that's why why I said, that's why I said existential. That's like an existential angst thing is that, existence itself is actually good outside of what you do outside of what you create or change like your existence as an organism as life which is super rare as far as we know in the universe that's a special and good thing
0: man i have a hard time remembering that
2: (laughs) yeah fully embracing that i think is kind of the core for me of of feeling guilty when i'm not completely engaged in everything like, just walking down the street, looking at the leaves, like Jeff was even saying, taking moments to just exist and be is like kind of like what we're here for. That's what we're fighting for, right? Is the existence of, of all people, of all life. and
0: well, It's the right for everyone for to have that.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it, things are so out of whack that that's not mm-hmm. the case. And, you know, I, earlier in my life, I said I wanted to go to a ministry, you know, when I was in high school and stuff. And I think that's one of the primary reasons I haven't because I got it in my head so deeply that you either give until you can't give any more or you're allowed to be selfish, but there's no in between. There's no like seasons where you're going to give more and then taking some breaks. And, you know, there's not, I, I think a lot of times in ministry related or calling related or activist related, uh, vocations, you're uh, people give, so much of themselves without any boundaries or limitations. And that's so praised as a kind of martyrdom, but really it's not healthy. And um, people are painted in negative lights for drawing those boundaries when that's actually what you have to do in order to sustain this kind of work. Yeah.
2: I've, I have a retired minister in my congregation that I talk to all the time and talking to him about um, boundaries and like clergy boundaries and training and things like that has just dramatically shifted in the last 50 years. Like even the concept of clergy boundaries really wasn't around. (laughs) If you go back far enough, it was like your whole life was defined by who you were as this position, like in society, your home life, everything. And now you can read all kinds of articles where there's a big move toward better boundaries, better definitions and preserving like private life and all kinds of things that are important.
1: Yeah, I mean That's look good. look at look at church structure, the advent of the parsonage, you know, <laughs> a minister I'm living I'm talking
2: on, from one right now. <laughs> on, exactly. <laughs>
1: like that whole idea of the, that boundaryless whatever everything's, you know, nothing's off limits for someone in that position and I think that there's a lot of similarity, you know, whatever word we use yeah. between someone who's in the ministry and someone who's doing activism is because they're putting themselves out there to be that. I know and I know it's a little cliche to say, but it's kind of like if we don't have those moments of rest like Maybe part of that burnout is forgetting what we're fighting for in the first place. Like if we're trying to create space of peace and justice and hope for people, we have to at least create those spaces for ourselves to kind of spur us on to remember that it's still possible to have.
2: Not to just derail the conversation and like go back to something we previously touched on, but I, but you will it just anyway. boggles my mind. I kind of it just <laughs> boggles my mind. Did the woman the video you watched? Do people actually say that you're not having kids, so you're being selfish or you're not contributing to the future? I've never heard that before. That's like a totally foreign concept to me.
0: Yeah, she she said that that was the criticism of lesbian communities that I mean, okay, so we have a history, history of a very long history of patriarchy in Western thought and Eastern thought in the history of the world that measures women by the value of their ability to procreate and be nurturers. So if women step outside of that identity. They are uh, a lot of people who are entrenched in patriarchal thought don't know what to do with them. They no longer have an identity. They no no longer have a sense of worth. I mean, feminist theory suggests that that's why older women in the media get so maligned or seen or devalued because they're past childbearing age and they're seen as less worthy, less less of worth. Um, So so when lesbians in particular uh, opt to have female partners over men or 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 don't have any other choice because that's who they're attracted to um so they they reject male partners and they choose not to have children then their identity is uh, to many people unfathomable and selfish and inherently wrong
1: in church settings i've seen young ladies who were like you know what i'm not gonna have kids i want to concentrate on my career chastised for not obeying the wow. call of God, like I've I've seen it, I've I've listened to it. Wow. Um, fortunately, that's not one of the things I have to feel guilty about. Looking back on <laughs> some of my ministry in more conservative settings, but good I've, job, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, we could have a whole episode on things I feel guilty about regarding that. But that is that that's very present, and I've seen it. I've seen it enough to where I I can't say that it's it's been rare in my experience.
2: Man, it's it makes sense in the history. It makes sense in the history of the world to have that kind of perspective. Like you need to have kids to help out with the farm. You need to have kids to ensure against famine and drought and war and all those things that we're like facing against a world that's sparsely populated. Yeah,
0: but but for but in feminist theory, like girls are not women until they childbear. And they're not adults until they childbear. So it's incredibly problematic that these ideas have lasted till today. And you can see it in this video that we're talking about, that there's a perception that if women opt not to participate in that system, if they don't do their duty, which is what we're talking about today, doing your duty and feeling guilty about not doing it, <laughs> presumably, um, then they're either regarded as, you know, inherently um contrary to society or to the future. Or as not women, or um, as inherently in the wrong, uh, or not adults, or in some ca- capacity, they're, they're seen as othered. So to me, it almost feels the same way in activist circles. If you're not a, a, a militant activist to some of my friends, then you're not incorporated into the community or something. I, I don't know. Like, to what extent are we allowed to say to each other, hey, this is your duty, you ought to do it? And to what extent should we really take pause? in, in regard to any of that. But I think there are some ways in which we do need to tell each other, like, this is your duty to humanity. Like, what are those things and what are those ways and how do we do that sustainably?
2: Or to ourselves, like, how do we come to arrive at a decision that this is my duty? Like, this is my, this, I am called to this. Like, how do we even arrive at that? Like, I,
0: I do think we should, we should be, blasting to the populace that it is your duty to live in a climate conscious way because all of us are at stake like it it that's that should not be an, an option i mean right. I, yeah i don't want to like infringe on people's personal freedoms but at this day and age with knowing what we know that shouldn't be an option anymore it should be considered basic human duty um so how do we use the social pressures for good you know but also at the same time knowing that it gets exhausting after a while to constantly care about these things and constantly act
1: so then there's the other you know you use the word like I think you said like blasting or yelling or like putting our stuff out there like at what point do we stop and we be more measured in the way we approach things like like the whole idea of of just a basic argument you know if you use certain terms or certain inflammatory remarks or you just hit the, you just press the wrong button with the person that you're talking to. Then you immediately like physically, physiology, neurologically, you shut them down and you can keep yelling and keep yelling, but all you're doing is creating a more and more of a divide. So I wonder if it's more of part of it is stopping to reflect and being like, if I feel like I'm not making a difference or I feel like nothing I'm doing is right, like really being more measured in the way that we protest, being more measured in the way that we try to enact change. Uh, like one of the examples that you they've used recently, and I know there's been some conflicting reports. I'll try to put the, all the stuff on the show notes for this, but uh, they talked about how back in, in, here in California, back in the whole, um, what was it, Prop 8, the against gay marriage uh, proposition that came in, the percentage at that time in the country was remarkably large as far as the overwhelming majority of the country was still on a federal level against gay marriage. And then with the ma- in the matter of like Eight years, I think it was, we are here where we are today, where we where it's legal.
0: Because of activists.
1: Exactly. But it wasn't because of, but it was a specific type of activism. Like they've done studies and they talked about how, well, what changed that tide? It was a specific type of activism that was based off of one-on-one connection, telling people stories and connecting as opposed to really. In a really, very
0: positive way. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Protests or anything like that. So I wonder if some of it is in all of our work is self-imposed in the sense that we're so passionate, which is understandable, that we're reacting in such a way that we're almost countering what we want to happen instead of aiding it.
0: Ah, there it is. That's very well said.
2: Do do you think that there's a place for hope? Mona mentioned it. (laughs) Mona mentioned like, well, it's nice to hope that, you know, that the bigger thing that there are some things that are good that are going to progress or change. And hopefully, you know, you kind of said that like theologically speaking, it it's very important to me in my work in ministry and activism and what I do to think about the fact that the world's bigger than me, like God, mountains, cities, the humankind, the universe, it's all a lot bigger than me. And feeling small doesn't, It actually does the opposite for me. It doesn't burn me out thinking I have no way to make a change. It helps me realize that like, I'm not responsible for the whole thing. I'm responsible for what I can do when I can do it, but I'm not responsible to turn the ship or to fix all the wrongs. There is a God outside of me, and there is a humanity outside of me that's bigger than who I am. And the hope I have is that God has given me a little bit. And I want to be faithful with with what I have and what I know. And I hope that – I have hope and trust that the small things that I do <laughs> – I'm, I'm a part of a church that's, you know, not huge. And some of the time – a lot of the time I spend is working with individuals, you know, and and doing things that have very little impact on the whole. But I have hope that whatever I do, however small – contributes to god's vision for the world and none of it's lost you know it's it's not just because i didn't win or didn't have measurable success i still have hope for everything that i do that it's retained in the mind of god forever
0: but don't you <laughs> think that oh, wow <laughs> <Good> <laughs> way to end on that. but don't yeah. you think that being comfortable and satiated with that small amount of hope and I, i'm not i'm not saying anything you've you're doing is is uh, meaningless. I think it's really wonderful that you're in the ministry and that you're helping people and making their lives better. And that's awesome. But, But don't you think if everybody thinks that way and just kind of takes care of their small little corner, we don't have any dreamers to dream big and unite and lead us. And we don't have anyone going to the great depths of Um, What it means to give your life over to a cause, you know, the Martin Luther Kings and so forth. And uh, I think that being satiated with that little corner of making a tiny piece of the world better can keep us from uh, bigger and really important tasks that need Uh, to happen.
2: So maybe maybe I misrepresented that what I do is global in the small Those huge ideas and those like that big vision and that connection to changing the world, I think is a part of the small piece that I that I have. Like, it's not that I'm not responsible for addressing the ship. I'm just not going to be the one to turn all of it, if that makes sense. I don't have to think that I that everything falls or stands based on my actions. But at the same time, I have access to all of that stuff like that's it's not small. I, I don't know how to explain what well, I mean. No, I
1: think I think what you mean or maybe what I what I think what I hear you saying is that Martin Luther King Jr. still had an accountant. In the sense that we have a tendency to hero worship and culture because it's easier to tell that story and turn it into a movie or a book or something inspiring, but we forget that if we put all of our our hope in that one person or that one figure, they are just one part an important part of moving that forward, but there's still people behind the scenes that need to do the regular mundane work. Like um
2: Yeah, they try to it they tried to do the boycott. He even got caught up into it because they wanted to organize a boycott of the buses and asked if they could do it at his church. And at first he wasn't sure whether or not he would let them or not.
1: Like, well, kind of no, decided. I'm not I'm not so I'm there's not. other people. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying is that there's other people that are doing work that isn't that isn't sexy, that isn't like on the front lines, that, that doesn't require a personality that's like in your face and dreaming and pushing forward. It's someone that's inspired by that one person that brings along other people according to their own giftings to to contribute to that overall work. I don't remember where I heard the story, but like the Occupy Wall Street movement that happened when when everything kind of crashed back in, in 2009 or 2010 there was a story of of Ben and Jerry's the company coming in and saying all right let's move let's let's fund this let's get this organized and let's go from it and they're like no if you organize it then it moves away from the spirit of what we're trying to do there and that's nice to say, but in reality if you really want to make change, you need to create a space where all people can use their the way that they view the world and their talents to contribute to that one big thing. Whether they're a person who sees things on a certain level in black and white like an accountant or someone that like here's the numbers I can I can make this part run efficiently and let those dreamers go out in the front lines and you know and push the rhetoric and push the the inspiration and the hope and all that kind of stuff is I think we run our organizations and we run our movements based off of personality and if that's all we have then it fizzles out. But if we if we create space for everyone to be who they are even if it's not what we imagine as you know an activist then then we're shutting down our whole movement not just people.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting you said that because uh, some of the movements lately like Occupy Wall Street and like Black Lives Matter have been have lacked a sort of cohesiveness and have splintered into different arenas uh, and different groups because not necessarily factions. I'm not trying to say that they're, that they're chaotic, but I mean that they're, they've not been able to represent themselves in a cohesive way because they've resisted this idea that you're going to have figureheads and you're going to have charismatic leaders. They're so don't want uh, a milieu where certain there's only one or two Spokespeople, They want that activist grassroots um, heart to stay in the center of the movement. But a lot of people will argue that because they've resisted having, for lack of a better term, a hierarchical structure, uh, they've failed. These movements have failed or are failing. It's really interesting. So and there are people
1: that are built that way. They need that, that you're ex- you're excluding people from your movement when you say that this is how it has to be because there are people that like look at this podcast as a microcosm of that. You know, we all come to this this space in a different way, and we all have our different talents that have that have built it. You know, like Moni, you have that drive. You know, let's do this. Let's go for it. Let's put that out there, and then. I tend to think in black and white terms, like uh, here's this compartment, this needs to be organized and this has to be put that and all those things come together for something. Otherwise, it would fizzle away on both ends. If it was just me running it, it would be super boring and no one would listen. (laughs) You know, if it was if it was another person leading it, then it would be like, oh, you know, we'll have an episode next month and then we'll figure it out from there. You know what I mean? Like there's that balance.
2: So you're saying overall you're responding to her and saying that. um not everyone is a dreamer or the people who kind of like become the icon activist that there's sometimes our role is not necessarily that there's a bunch of different roles, right? That, that that's what you're.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what that's I'm what saying. saying.
2: Okay. I, I think that it's, it, it's interesting. You said the word uh, Mona earlier satiated and I, I appreciate that. Like there is a sense that, being one of the smaller people or being one of the people who do things behind the scene, or just being comfortable with giving a little bit or serving a little bit that that you do your little corner of the world can make you comfortable and satiated and not attuned to the big changes that need to happen. Um I think for me personally, that's, that's not what happens. I think that, no, it I agree me,
0: with, for you in particular, I, th- I
2: think it's like the opposite. Actually, I think having that allows me to pursue the bigger things uh i maybe martin luther king jr was the same way um in his life maybe he had this ministry where it was the smaller things the kind of daily investments the regular relationships stuff like that that allowed him to step up into a moment when he was called to speak and be a louder voice i think it's the 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 regular life living in community the kind of activism that's involved in that which is like actually going into being a part of people's lives with each other and doing the small things that allows for the bigger change changes to happen it's a source of power not a source of complacency at least for me
0: yeah no i i totally hear that and i i didn't mean to say complacency but i think in general you know like what are we teaching people to strive for you know a, as leaders and um, i heard
2: you and agree with you for sure
0: it can be a problem but can also cause a lot of guilt
2: <laughs> yeah
0: so Uh, what I'm what I'm arguing is that you know don't be comfortable with that I I think I don't know so I guess coming back to this idea of burnout and fatigue and fatalism what can we say then like given everything we've talked about uh, like do we have a theology of of burnout is it okay to step away for a while and that be a holy pursuit I don't know Where, where do we put that burnout how do we recover how do we I hear you saying, Alan, that we need to find solace in the small, the tiny differences that we're making and rejoice in those differences. I mean, there are times when I feel like mm-hmm. I, those differences don't matter. that Those things don't really <laughs> make a difference. You know, like how, how do I don't even know what tra- question I'm trying to ask. but I think you yeah. guys get it.
2: Maybe like you punt to just Buddhist truth and be like, I'm not going to be affected one way or the other and learning detachment. Maybe that's the answer. No. That's not the answer. I think, Wait, I no, think I want to hear
0: more about that. I think it's important. Jeff, Jeff just shut you down? No. no. He just that's shut wrong.
2: down thousands of years of Eastern tradition. Okay, that's fine. Well, he just maybe didn't communicate it well, but I'm going to say no to that.
0: The attachment just like doing it because you know it's the right thing to do and like not letting yourself get too emotional about it one way or the other?
2: Yeah, and not, and not tying your identity to whether this happens or that happens like that. That's the concept of de- detachment itself being not like the psychological thing, but the, the Buddhist practice of um, like not wrapping your fist too tightly around the, the thing and like, or even Taoist letting the, the river flow in front of you and being like a, a pool, you know, not affected emotionally into the core of who you are by the evils in the world. And I think that that's there's an element of truth to that because when we are so affected that it it kind of um you know it it can really affect us and and burn us out, and having the ability to detach like that is is an important thing, but at the same time like i I feel like it's important to be a protester and stand up and raise your hands and get beaten up and like all those other things and yeah, i think there I, but but there are buddhists who do that there are buddhist monks who do protest and so that so that's not like there's some sort of um one or the other like I, so how do you
0: have a genuineness of a spirit and intent mm-hmm. and presence but still be holding it loosely and not letting it affect your core identity yeah Ooh, that's tough
1: i i think that i think that there, there's truth to that with you know despite my previous <laughs> my previous
2: outcry of no, no that's that's wrong. Wrong. not just
1: no uh,
2: he, he pulled a trump he was like no <laughs> nope you're wrong joined. you're wrong. wrong you're wrong, hey, wrong? <laughs> that's what it is that's what the word is wrong uh, wrong well i think that
1: it, i think that on on an emotional level it's important it's per, important for us to detach but that doesn't that doesn't like really solve the problem of what we're talking about is like we try to de- like that's the point is we're trying to detach but we're feeling guilty or that, that maybe we'll not just detach, but just give up and stay disconnected. And I think that that goes to that idea of we are, I think when we're passionate about any particular issue, it's easy for us to, to feel like our way is the right way. And I think that taking a rest instead of, instead of seeing it as me stepping away or feeling guilty, it's creating a space for someone else to pick up the slack. And if we're talking about, especially in terms of justice, this this community or this group of people having the rights that they have, all they have in certain times in their lives is their community, is the people that they attach to and they connect with, and, and that's the refuge. Whether they're a community that's oppressed for the color of their skin or whatever, when they're around people that are like-minded, then it connects them. And I think that we need to apply that same idea for people that are fighting for justice is that we need to support each other. Hey, you're getting burnt out. This is too big this is too big of an issue for us to, to not stop and to give up and be burnt out. Let me pick up the slack, take some rest, stop and move forward and know that we're not feeling guilty. And it's not about us individually, that we're a part of something. We're a part of community of love and justice. And we're not, we're not, we're not flying solo. We're not islands.
0: I'm flying solo. I'm flying solo. Uh, no, I think you're right. I, I just had to burst out of the song for a moment. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. I think as we've been talking about all this, what keeps coming to mind is that um, it's the reason that things change in history is because people come together. It's no one doing it alone. It's always, always a mass, um, a critical mass of people doing good work.
1: And doing different work within that same greater work. And I think that's what we we tend to forget, you know.
0: And we're an increasingly isolated population, you know, like we, there's so many studies have come out about that lately that people feel more and more isolated as much as we have more and more ways to connect. So I think it's just, uh, it seems like it's the art of connecting despite all these forces that want to pull us apart.
2: You you should, you should bear a burden, but I I think that when you're so individually minded, which in the West we are compared to how like three-fourths of the world think, which is much more community oriented, individuals like bear the brunt of all of the responsibility. It's like you either you have no responsibility and you're just not going to listen to it or you take on too much, like the whole world's suffering. And then if you're not suffering with the world, then you somehow are not serving. And I think that, that that elevates suffering to a level of somehow having power on its own. And it doesn't, whether you suffer or not is not going to make the world a better place. It's completely ancillary to, to, to what you do, you know? Like and a, we do
1: a crappy job of shared burdens, of sharing those burdens and not just putting them on one person or ourselves. Like, I mean, look at right now, we are here we are, election day, and we're putting our hopes on one person when ultimately, like, that person can really – the only power <laughs> they have is – to 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 war really right like they're they're not going to change the economy most of the promises that they put out there aren't things that are dependent upon the decisions they make they're dependent upon the decisions of the congressman or whoever's below them or whatever like mm-hmm. we it's just our drive like all of our attention is on the the election and the office and the vote that goes towards probably the most meaningless in terms of what actually gets done
2: except I agree it's nice to have someone to beat up on and blame for sure uh even though Thanks they're, they're not responsible <laughs> but except except for representing us to the rest of the world. I think that's the whole I think that's the main thing that I think about um like representing us to ourselves when the president speaks to the the country, we see ourselves, you know, and yeah. when the president speaks to the rest of the world, the rest of the world sees us, and so like that representational power is massive. But um, I do hear you. Like <laughs> it's nice to be able to blame the president for everything.
1: Yeah. Everything. Well, that's why I say Which in terms of things do, that you know that actually get done. And in in regards to that, I don't know about you too, but I'm gonna miss having a president that's just smooth. That you know, like you're just like <laughs> you're just like that's a guy I, I want to represent. To the me. pool. <laughs> what was that yeah.
2: SNL sketch where he was like singing and it's so smooth. Uh, yeah i I don't know
0: al green yeah that's
1: fantastic (laughs) i'm
0: gonna miss
2: him too i'm gonna miss that you know what i never like liked obama i was in a context that really didn't like him um i thought he was a, a better choice like the first time he was elected i think i think i was making that argument even in the context that i was in but i have to say after all of this uh political craziness in the last year. There's been a couple times where I've watched him recently and been like, I like him. <laughs> there's something about it, and like my little heart is beating a little bit faster, even though um, I think about all of the other problems that are going on and all the problems with his, you know, foreign policy that I don't appreciate. But still, there's something about that man that I definitely commiserate with.
0: Yeah, and he, I mean, he's an, a longtime activist too. I mean, talk about someone who's survived a lot of burnout and and attacks and. Yeah, kept his cool. I mean, he's really kind of, for me, kind of an idol uh, for the, in that way. Yeah, well, to especially
1: emulate. in, especially in terms of the burden that was immediately placed on him just because he's a black man. He did. He not only had just the expectations of a normal president, but the expectations of the first black president. That is, I can't imagine, and I think,
2: and a failing economy at the same time. Exactly. And I I think that in
1: terms of like the grace in which he handled it and the composure that he kept all throughout his presidency, uh, despite whatever anyone may say about whether they're Republican, Democrat or whatever, that that has to be admired. That has to be.
2: Especially in light of what's happening. The moral of the
0: story is stay smooth, everyone, and you'll be just fine.
2: Hey, that's that's, again, Buddhist truth. There you go. (laughs) Flow
0: with the river, the cosmic (laughs) river. Uh, All
1: right. So let's... Let's wrap. Can we all agree that at least we have, a, a, at the very least, a sliver more hope than we did at the beginning <laughs> of this like conversation? Just there is an
2: important – this is important to end on a cathartic note. Dang I it. think it is. This gonna actually, happen. Actually,
0: yeah. You I resist did, that. You guys didn't I, want to talk about this because you <laughs> thought it would just end on fatalism. Uh, no,
2: because I knew I would want it to end on fatalism. I hate the I movies that want, end on a happy note. It bothers me. But Jeff Can't prophesied
0: that we shall turn this episode into a psalm that will end in praise. So in the back what we of my praising? head, I was like,
2: no. Well,
1: in we just spent <laughs> a good <laughs> couple <laughs> minutes praising the there. president <laughs> and how we were apprehensive, but then all praise the president. I I I
0: have have hope.
2: hope. I'm gonna give myself
0: a break. That's my end. That's my. uh, We just mind melted, Alan.
2: We did. We both said I have hope. I was gonna say I have hope. I have
0: hope (laughs) and (laughs) change. God.
2: I have. That's more appropriate. (laughs) I I have
0: hope. I have hope in love. Love will prevail. Uh, That's my word for God. Uh, I really do. I think that if we remember love, we really can't go wrong. Like really deeply, truly rooted, exuberant, Hmm. uh, genuine, like soulful love, you know, that keeps us, if we stay rooted in that, I think all of our efforts to make the world better, like I I think people can tell. I think people can tell when you're doing the right thing because you have to, because it's your duty versus because you deeply want to love. And Mm -hmm. that. You know, it goes back to if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I give all I have to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, if I'm
2: preaching, then if I have not love, (laughs) I am.
0: I am preaching. If I have not love, then I have nothing. I gain nothing.
2: Nothing happens in the world. That's right. Uh,
0: So so for me, I think this whole episode has been a reminder. Oh, yeah, I'm rooted in something so powerful that evil cannot overcome it. Amen.
2: Amen. <laughs> hey, I, I threw away the line earlier, but similarly, I do believe anything done in love, any action that is uh, resulting in or powered by love is um, contributing to something forever. And in, in, in essence is eternal. Like that, that never goes away. You can talk about reward or whatever if you want to use the language of economics, like you're rewarded for the good you do. I think it's more like, even if um, twenty years down the road we kill each other in a giant atomic nuclear like event and humanity's done, you know, for the rest of the history of the galaxy, the things that were done in love by people on this planet participated in God, and God uh, will always be around. And so, I think that that present there's a real preservation there, and we can talk some other day about like afterlife or heaven or whatever, but just the concept that whenever I participate in God, that's never lost gives me hope.
0: Beautiful. Love it.
1: Agreed. Good stuff. All right. Well, let us know what you think. Uh, Hopefully you have been, inspired a little bit and you can add your voice to this particular conversation by going to the show notes at irenicast.com slash 88 and there you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the other ways you can contact us that's irenicast.com slash 88 and at the
2: very least you are not the only one who is burned out
0: (laughs) nope (laughs) you got three compatriots right here
2: compadres that's right
1: Uh, on the other side of the music we will be doing our biblical elections Since today, as of posting, November 8th, 2016 is Election Day. Many of you are maybe listening to, hopefully listening to this podcast in line because so many people are going out to vote that you have to wait in line (laughs) and we are providing you thoughtful conversation and entertaining rhetoric with this segment that we're going to call Biblical Elections and how this is going to work. I just
2: want to thank you ahead of time that you're voting for either Jill or Bernie. Good job. I, don't think I can't say that from the pulpit, but I can say from here. Bernie's
1: uh, on the ballot there.
2: <laughs> they can write it in. They could write it <laughs> There's, in. I have delusional friends who thinks he's still going to win. And really? Yeah. Wow. I, I do they understand be there how democracy them. works? <laughs> do any of us, Mona? Do any, does anyone? I
0: understand all of it.
2: All <laughs> the time. That's a good question.
1: All right. So how this uh. segment is going to work is that each of us have picked or chosen two characters or personalities or people from scripture and we are going to pit them against each other in election and then all three of us m- must discuss what the good and the bad of each candidate is and then we will vote here and now to find out which of those two biblical personalities will become the president of Irenicast. but no jesus that doesn't count
2: actually i was going to pick G- I was going to do jesus or the christ and make a fine theological nuance joke there
1: no don't 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 start your. That's a don't joke. don't, be, don't, yeah, do, don't that. do that. Don't, that's not.
2: What about what about James James or John the the sons of Zebedee?
0: Alan, what's your? It's real supposed to be a joke.
2: You know how they both wanted to be the leader. No, never mind. Oh my <laughs> Jesus! Castigates. I swear, them. Alan.
0: I'm finding it funny how clever that you find this conversation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Fine, I'll get. Gi- I'll give you my real one. Saul versus Saul. There you go. Your are real you one? saying
1: Saul versus Paul? Yeah. Are you are you going Saul. there? Are you going no? With,
0: Saul King Saul versus Saul of Tarsus yeah
2: but
1: that's Saul versus Paul
2: yes king Saul versus Saul no 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 <laughs> not post enlightenment i say enlightenment because you know he's blinded by the light oh my Never gosh mind. um no more biblical not puns paul <laughs> but Saul
0: oh king Saul is much more ruthless i definitely have to go for king Saul wait what are, what are <laughs> the criteria here Saul. though this is what i need to know
2: <laughs> the criteria is to make Make Israel great again.
1: <laughs> oh
2: goodness.
0: Can we build a big wall? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness.
2: Which one would you vote for, Jeff?
1: I'm gonna go with Paul. Pre Christian Paul. I have a an affinity for the grassroots candidate. Passionate about what he believes, and I'm going I'm going with Saul. New Testament Saul. Very nice. Alright, so Alan, you're Very the nice. you're the tiebreak. Who are you gonna vote for in your own proposed election?
2: You know, now that you both just made case the case for those, I think I'm gonna go with the grassroots campaigner.
1: So does that mean he's gonna to convert to Christianity and have his his conversion halfway through his presidency? And is that gonna change anything for you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh,
1: Mona, what about you?
0: Um would you rather vote for Ruth or Esther?
2: Ooh, actually, I was about to do a knee-jerk reaction to Ruth. Why? Because I she's like now.
0: the plain Jane or something?
2: No, she's a foreigner. It's true.
1: Is she even eligible to run? I want to see her birth certificate right now. I want to see it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Show me her birth certificate. <laughs> but, but your people are That's not are how things people. work.
0: <laughs> That's her campaign slogan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh... I'm going to go with Esther because I want someone who can manipulate foreign leaders. And she's basically a bachelorette contestant. And who doesn't want a bachelorette contestant as your national leader? We're voting for The Apprentice. But you'd rather uh, vote for a Moabites who just does what she's told? I don't think so.
1: Yeah, you know what? I'd probably go with Esther, too. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against her. You know, that Ruth is a not- loser. <laughs> she's not she doesn't represent my israel that's
2: what i'm saying she's low energy <laughs> she's not what is she not flashy she's enough really for low energy that was my favorite that seriously is my favorite trumpism right there low energy just saying that about someone that's seriously funny Why? to me because it's ridiculous it's like Hey, uh, I, this person shouldn't be president. He's low energy. Like, whoo, what the hell? Don't you want someone who's low energy when there's like a
0: nuclear attack and isn't going to spaz out on you? I mean, personally, uh, so.
1: I'm 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 hoping that after today, that this is the last we ever have to talk or hear about anything concerning that particular candidate.
0: Good lord, please! I know.
1: All right. So my election is between Jonah and Judas.
0: Oh my God! <laughs> what?
2: I I think I thought about like the same exact Jonah thing. Jonah comes dude. around at the end. No, mine I was I was gonna say Cain or Judas. That's what it was. Uh Jonah or Judas. That's a hard one.
1: Right? Because Judas would, would be, be fiscally really good responsible. with the economy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Jonah <laughs> is just a dirty draft dodger, right? I mean that's essentially what he is. Yeah. Yeah. Feel he like ran Judas away from service would to would God.
2: Create jobs. Yeah, but
1: he's
0: got a heart of gold at the end of the day and he got it done. He got it done, what he needed to do.
1: Well, he may have I'm, run, I'm go but Jonah. he ran because he didn't want the foreigners to win or have any grace. So that's a plus for some people, right?
0: I suppose so. Yeah, he was trying to do it out of justice. Like, those people don't deserve my help. So. That's right. I contend that he's a good guy. He didn't deserve to have his skin chewed off by stomach acid.
2: I'm going to go with Judas. Whatever happened to him. I'm going to go with Judas.
0: You're
2: go- Jonah. You're such a Judas. Jonah. Jonah was an unwilling instrument of God. Judas, like, pushed the story along on purpose. He 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 had high energy. He, like, knew what he was doing, you know? And he, uh, like I said, he'd be good for the economy. He was good at handling money. And didn't he handle the money for the apostles, like, for real? Was yeah, like that? he did. It's not yeah. an apocryphal well, story, right?
1: And Judas just sat around waiting to die. I mean, Jonah just sat around waiting to die. He at least did. Judas took manners into his own hands and decided – right. I'm. I'm going. With I
0: can't believe I'm even hearing this. Right now. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. He's going to
2: make Israel what? great again. He's going to bring the jobs back. That's what he's going to do.
1: You know, I've yeah. convinced. I've I've convinced myself. I'm going with Judas as well. I think he's going to. He's going to win in a landslide.
2: He's going to get a lot of the. Uh, he's going to get rid of the bad people that. Um, Need to be wow. That's really bad. That's true. Go What's
0: happening He's gonna, here? <laughs> he got rid of Jesus. You, are, you guys are Jesus was upsetting. Jesus,
2: Jesus was upsetting the empire. Okay, Jesus was upsetting the empire, making fun of Pontius Pilate, bringing people in on Palm Sunday, getting everybody all angry and stoked up, especially the bad people, the low energy people. Okay, the people so who you're you're against
0: rabble rousing prophets right. who just might Absolutely. be the son of God. Yeah,
2: who okay. just want to like you know spit on hundreds of years of Greco Roman society and just do their own thing no yeah, it's true no. to let let in foreigners and poor people heck and no. judas, judas will make is it
1: like right. cyrus he's <laughs> being used by god I'm are just
0: doing this now because it's bothering me this is i think we're happening.
1: subconsciously letting out all of our frustration on trump through through uh through biblical archetypes that we can just
0: you're <laughs> saying we feel need a judas from it. who is like a necessary evil to stop the that's evil. right
2: Jewish yeah Judas knows what real evil is therefore he can save us from from it it. and Judas has already done it that
0: makes no sense his
2: evil that's actually Trump's entire campaign his evil brought in the greatest
1: (laughs) salvation the world has ever known (laughs) (laughs) through his act of evil he made the Uh, world great again and I'm casting my vote (laughs) I can't
0: even with this conversation I I, like my trust is diminishing (laughs) in both of you
1: (laughs) This is what happens when you have a male majority.
2: Yeah, apparently. Oh, <laughs> During the debate, I kept saying over and over, "What Trump is proposing is just the deal with the devil scenario. It's like classic literature." He literally said, "I haven't paid taxes in you know almost twenty years. I've I, I'm the worst part of uh, American economics and um, the mixture between politics and money." He's like, "So I know how bad it is." And I'm the only one that can save you from it. (laughs) You know, he's like, I am the evil that I can save you from. I know how, I'm the devil, and you're gonna make a deal with me, and we're gonna make it great again. That's basically right. his entire. I campaign. don't want to
0: talk. I know, but I don't want to talk about that guy anymore. He makes me crazy, and I. Just, Today's the don't. last. I just, you to have to. To. <laughs> I just want him to go away. I just. I think that's definitely
1: gonna do it for <laughs> us this week. In fact, we went into this segment saying that we wanted to do a different segment because we didn't want to talk about Trump. And what did we end up doing? Yeah,
2: I- Alex <laughs> ended- It just shows that
1: we it. are suffering from some kind of traumatic stress because of. Uh, anyway, it's hopefully it's over after today and we will be, we will be done with it. But if not, we are at least done with this episode. Thank you for joining us this week.
0: If not, don't come after us, Trump. Okay. We (laughs) will, we'll find a way to like you if you're the president, I suppose. Don't sue me. Or or we'll move to Canada. We'll
1: just just take the podcast underground.
0: (laughs) Underground. Isn't it already underground?
2: I'm pretty sure it is.
1: (laughs) That would be cool if it was. All right. Anyway, if you Uh, enjoy what you hear and you want to support Irenicast, you can go to irenicast.com slash support for all the ways in which to do that. And uh, yeah, so for this week, I'm Jeff.
2: I'm Mona. And I'm Alan.
1: Thanks for joining the conversation. And go vote.